Hey, uh, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, though, before we get there, I wanted to tell you all that um, some really good news that I found out uh, very recently. And this is so important. I mean, this, this will affect your life incredibly. And, and I found it here, but this is on good source. I got this off the internet, right? And this says, life on earth began on Mars. Just so you know that. This is from the Press Association, The Guardian, a very uh, established newspaper in England. Evidence is mounting that life on earth may have started on Mars. A leading scientist has claimed that one particular element believed to be crucial to the origin of life would only have been available on the surface of the red planet. Professor Steve Benner, a geochemist, has argued that the seeds of life probably arrived on Earth in meteorites blasted off Mars by impacts or volcanic eruptions. That's how we all got here. That's pretty important, isn't it? Let me read to you just a couple more sentences because this is life-changing. It's yet another piece of evidence which makes it more likely that life came to Earth on a Martian meteorite rather than starting on this planet. You know, when you count God out of the picture, you have to reach pretty far to find something to make. They, they can't find any reason for it here, so we're going to find a reason over there on Mars because you can't go and prove it anyways. All living things are made from organic matter. Yes, but simply adding energy to organic molecules will not create life. Duh. Instead, left to themselves, organic molecules become something more like tar or asphalt, says Professor Benner. The evidence seems to be building that we, and I, this is my favorite quote, the evidence seems to be building that we are actually all Martians. That life started on Mars and came to Earth on a rock. Quote, said Benner. It's lucky that we ended up here nevertheless, as certainly Earth has been the better of the two planets for sustaining life. If our hypothetical Martian ancestors had remained on Mars, there might not have been a story to tell. <laughs> Where do you get this stuff? God is a creator. God is the creator. And when we, when we turn away from him, and, and it, it can get just absolutely insane. First Thessalonians, though, uh, it says that Paul was amazed and, and, and he saw in the lives of these people there that they had turned to God from idols. And they had decided they were serving the living and true God and they were waiting for his son from heaven. These, these are the things that were known about these people there. They turned to God from idols. We talked a lot of, last week about idols and what they are and, and do any of us have them. And you know what? Uh, I, I, that quote that Tim Keller gave, the human heart is an idol factory. We just manufacture them over and over. You get rid of one and we're going to make another one. The, the truth of the matter is not if we have idols in our hearts. The question is, what are they? That's why we need God to search our hearts and say, God, what is going on in my heart and life? What, what is it that I'm really worshiping? 
And sometimes I think we'll be surprised, but there's so much in our society. But, but going back to the Ten Commandments, the very first two, God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself, make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. They're manufactured. He says, you shouldn't manufacture, you shouldn't make any kind of idols, any kind of gods in the form of anything. And the reason he says that is because that's what we do. We make idols in the form of just about anything. And it, be, it comes and it takes this place of preeminence in our hearts. Beauty, success, greed, money, maybe some possession, maybe some relationship, maybe some pleasure, some hobby, some sport. All these, and the list could go on and on, or the lack of those can become an idol too. Well, I don't have this particular thing or this particular relationship or this particular. And that, that becomes an idol too because we're looking to that for the answer rather than looking to God. Counterfeit gods. That's what Tim Keller called them. They need to be replaced by God himself. And that's what the, that's what the Thessalonians did. They turned to God from idols. You and I need to do that. Repeatedly. Today, I want to look at the idea moving on there into chapter two is this question of why we do what we do. Why we do what we do, kind of this idea of motives. And, and uh, you know, looking here in this passage, we're going to look at really, there's a lot of reasons why we do what we do. And some of them are wrong and some of them are right. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. But especially concerning ministry and serving. He's talking here specifically about, but I think we can apply this to a lot of different areas in our lives. Why, why, why are we doing what we do? What is, what is our motivation? What is behind it all? Now, it appears that Paul was being attacked and, and his character was being attacked and his motives were being attacked. And so this kind of, this is one of the reasons why Paul is, is writing these words here to make it kind of clear and like, let's clear up some things here. Let's get some, some things straight. And he talks about that. And I want to I wanna say this is Paul's testimony. This is Paul, these are Paul's words. And I think we, and, and as I was reading them and, and saying, well, how, you know, I've got to apply this to myself as well. How does this apply to me? Let's look at the passage, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart, hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that your word would, would truly reach into our hearts, open our, our eyes and our ears to hear 
what you would say to us by your spirit today in Jesus' name. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know, you know what happened. You know what happened there when we came and visited. You, you know, you saw, you were there, you were part of it. That God did something there. God did a work there. It was not, it was not something that they did. And, and certainly it, it's so clear throughout the Bible and through what Paul says in so many other places that that, that is the only way for success. He says, you know, we didn't come. It wasn't a failure. Our visit to you wasn't a failure, but the, the success came in what God did, and the fruit only comes from God. But if it's only up to God for the fruit, if it's only in his hands, then for Paul, showing up was the success. Being there was the success. We, we all have our measures of success and failure, and we, we kind of look at that and, 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 you know, well, you know, it's got to grow. It's the, you know, the, the number of people, the number of chairs, the budget, everything has got to grow, and then we are successful. But God looks at things very differently than we do, I have to say. And, you know, when we begin to compare, you know, us and them or whatever, and we start to look around, we need to look to him. This is kind of what Paul's saying in the beginning in, in all of this is that we, we look to him. We don't look around and see what, what it means. God brings the increase. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. Only God who gives the increase. Only God who makes things happen. We pray and we, we need to do, we need to plant, we need to water, we need to do our own part and whatever part that is. And, and that's why we're kind of focusing our ministry minute. Well, what, what, what are different people doing? But we can't make it happen. Norman can't make um, you know, it happen. God's got to make it happen. Ultimately, it's a walk of faith. He said, we, we came to you and it wasn't a failure. You know that. You know God did something. Verse 2, he said, we had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of, in spite of strong opposition. When they had gone to Philippi before they got to Thessalonica, when they went to Philippi, they, they had such a horrible um, time. Although there were a group of people that, that truly responded to the gospel to Jesus Christ. Incredible. Their lives were changed. A gal like Lydia. And then later the, the jailer. But, but we see that it says in Acts chapter 16 that they were stripped and they were beaten. It says they were severely flogged. They were thrown into prison it says they were put in the inner cell and they fastened their feet in the stocks. Now you could say, well, would Paul say it was a success? Well, I think it was a success because they went and they did what God called them to do. But there was fruit that came out of it. God did incredible thing in the middle of all of that. God did some pretty incredible things. Who's going to do it? It's not you and me. We need to show up. Paul showed up there. But how many of us, had we faced something like that, how many of us would have quit and said, you know what, this, you know, this serving thing is just too much. You know? my, my ankles are still hurting from the stocks that you know, were around my ankles. 
I, you know, I'm just going to pack it in. I'm going to choose something a little easier. I'm going to choose something a little, little more comfortable. Again, Paul being attacked for his motives in that, and Paul saying, wait a minute, you know, like, what are you talking about here? You know, it, it, ministry isn't easy. Serving God isn't always easy. It isn't always going to be friendly and, and happy and, and all that stuff. There's going to be some, some times where it costs a little bit. Sometimes where it costs a lot. How many of us would have just quit? Or at least change the message so we can make people happy. That, that's what we'll do. We'll just kind of water things down a little bit. We'll just kind of change the truth a little bit so that everybody will walk out. Everybody that you talk to will be so happy. Man, that's what we should do, right? She said, yeah. That's what we should do. Sad to say, isn't that what's happening in so many uh, sectors of the, of the church? Well, if that's everything, if that's what the world is all about, then let's go there too because we don't want to make anybody unhappy. We don't want to make anybody angry for sure. But Paul says, I was in Philippi and people got kind of angry. So I just quit. No, I didn't just quit. I went to the next place and the next place and I went to where God wanted me to go. But he says, with the help of our God, with the help of our God, with God's help, we were bold. We dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. In spite of the reaction we got, we, 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 we came to you. We, we had a bad time over there and didn't turn out so good, but, but were we going to change the message? No, we were bold in our God. With the help of our God, we came and we were just going to tell you the truth and share with you the truth. Because the truth is the truth, and you can't just go changing the truth whenever you want to change the truth. And again, that's what happens. Well, we're just going to change the truth a little bit just to make it more palatable. I like that word, palatable. Go ahead and say that one time. Palatable. We're just going to make it more palatable for you. That doesn't change the fact that Jesus was brutally murdered upon a cross for the sins of all the world. How do you make that more palatable? No, the truth is the truth. The truth does not change. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 4, kind of uh, see some, and this is even before Paul's time, but Acts chapter 4, in verse 8, he says, excuse me, It says there, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, they were in trouble because somebody got healed in the name of Jesus. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and and ask how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, the, co- the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other, na- other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. He didn't change the message. Jesus is the answer. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had had been healed standing there, there was nothing they could say. 
And so they ordered them and they, they told him, you know, verse 18, they called them in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. No more. Of course, they just did it anyways because they said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Chapter 4, look at chapter 4, verse 29. We're already in chapter 4, aren't we? Jump down to verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. How did, how did they get this boldness? In spite of strong opposition, as Paul says, in spite of being commanded not to speak anymore, don't, don't talk about Jesus because that is too controversial. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they had, they had spent time with Jesus. People took note. These people were with Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference for you and me, that, that God gives us His Spirit and that we spend time with Jesus and, and it says they were enabled. They were enabled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God boldly. You know what, you and I, the temptation is so radical. The temptation is so radical. Just, you know, don't say anything about anything. You, you've got to be correct in what you say. You've got to be, you know, sensitive to what you say. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, you know what? Back in Thessalonians, he said, you know what? We dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. We dared. We were bold to tell you the truth no matter what the opposition was. Verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, not nor are we trying to trick you. Why do we do what we do? Paul is you know, answering the question, why did we do what we do? We made appeal. Yes, we did. And, and he wasn't ashamed or you know, afraid of the fact that, that he made an appeal to people for response. The gospel requires response. Just to know the gospel is not an answer. The truth of Jesus Christ requires response. People must respond. And no response is the same as a no response. Did you hear that? No response is the same as a no response. And, and for people to not make any response, that is their response. But Paul wasn't ashamed. He wasn't afraid to make an appeal, to make a call. But notice he's talking about motives here, and he gives kind of three negative, three negative motives, three negative reasons. Number one, he says, it doesn't spring from error. I'm not doing what I'm doing, and I didn't come to you, and, and I'm not, the reason I'm doing isn't because of some false doctrine or some kind of idea that we came up with, you know, some kind of works that we put together, that, it, that we do need to, you know, you know, have so many notches on our belt so that we can make it into heaven. And most, if not all, false religions are works-based. 
that you need to do this and this and this and this to get in, or you will not get in. I've said this before, and I, I still remember seeing, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, saying, you know, I'm trying to be a good person, if, and, you know, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then maybe I'll get in. Our, our faith is not based on that at all. It's based on Jesus Christ and what he did. He said, it's finished. I'm not doing what I'm doing from some kind of error, some kind of weird thing. I'm not doing it out of impure motives where there's some kind of ulterior motive. Paul says, what, you know, I'm doing it because I want something. I, I, I'm doing it to get something from you. I'm doing it so that, you know, I can have, uh, you know, be proud of all my efforts. Or he says, nor are we trying to trick you. And this word means to be, to use cunning for profit. Some kind of deception. How would that help anyone anyways? You say, you say well, you know, of course, of course, who would ever use and do any of these things? <laughs> you haven't been around very long, have you? You haven't, you haven't watched certain things on television and, and, and heard about what goes on in some churches and, and read books about churches that abuse and, and places. You know what? People when it gets into the hands of people, which it does, the, the temptation and the, the inclination to go and, and, and to go off in some weird, and, and it, it's there. Why do you think you see it? Because we're human, we're sinful. We need, to, we need to go before God and say, God, are these the motives of my heart? Is there something weird going on here? Am I doing this for the wrong reason? Am I doing this to get something? You say, well, there's some that are just deceived and they're just doing it out of deception. Yes, that's true. But, but even worse than that, there are some that are doing it knowing. Knowing. Knowingly for profit. And he talks later about greed. Knowingly so that, so that you know, I can get another house. So I can get an, a, a bigger boat. Or maybe a, a larger airplane for my ministry. It's pretty scary, isn't it? Paul didn't drive or fly around in jets. He said in 2 Corinthians, he said this, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. He said, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we command, commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He says we don't distort, but we set forth the truth plainly. And we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul, I think, was accused of all these things. But Paul could say, listen, I, I'm not doing those things. Could he have? Yes, he could have. He's human. Verse 4, though, he says, on the contrary, on the contrary, and really the answers to all this are found here in verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. Why do we do what we do, Paul says? These are the two reasons right here. Number one, 
We speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. God had put a call on his life. We do what we do because God wants me to do it, basically. That's, he says, why we're doing what we do. God entrusted him with a charge. God gave him something to do. Now, we're not all called to be apostles, but we're all called. And God, I believe this with all my heart, God has, has got some kind of avenue, some kind of ministry for service that you and I can somehow be a part of the, the body of Christ and function as a toe or as a, a thumb or as an elbow or, or whatever, hair. I mean, we can all do something different, right? God has entrusted each one of us with a charge. I want you to turn back. This is important. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to turn with me there because it's an important point to think about it. God, why, why was Paul doing what he does? Because God told him to do it. We read that passage in, in, uh, about Paul's salvation on the road to Damascus and, and God told him, this is what I'm going to want you to do. He could have said yes. He could have said no. He said yes. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, he said, So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, what? Must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not Make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. We stand and fall before the Lord to do what he says. What he says, what's required? What's required? That we would prove faithful. We would be faithful. Just be faithful with, with what God's given you to do. Just be faithful. And I, I define that in two different ways. One is just to be faithful by like showing up. You're a faithful person. Somebody says you're a faithful person because you're, you can be relied on. You'll be there. You will uh, do what you have agreed, committed, whatever to do. But the second one is full of faith, the, the kind of archaic understanding of that word, that, that we trust that God's going to do something. I show up, yeah, but it, I can't do it. What can I do? But God can do something. I'm full of faith that God's going to do something. Now, are we always like, you know, brimming over with faith? No. But think about that. God, what does God require? He doesn't require me to be successful. He requires me to be faithful. He doesn't require that, you know, all this stuff happens. He requires that I show up and that, that I just trust him. That's what, that's what he requires. That's what he wants from me. Number one, that's what he did, that God called him, that God entrusted him. You know, the missionary who goes out on the mission field, if he doesn't go by God's call, he won't last. He won't make it. If you go out because you think, well, that's a great idea to be a missionary. It's like good. It's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. But if God hasn't called you to do it, you're not going to last. You're going to get out there. Things are going to get tough. You're going to face some strong um, opposition. You're going to face some kind of problems, just the, the trials and struggles of life. And you're going to go say, you know what? Forget it. I, I am going to pack it in. I am going to go home because this is ridiculous. I can make more over here. I can get more um, you know, done over there or whatever. But you know what? 
if, if it isn't by God's call, we're not going to make it. I can't fulfill someone else's call. I can only see and fulfill the call that God has in my life. Now, the question you're asking maybe is, can I even know the call of God in my life? Yes, you can, and yes, you must. You can and you must know God's call in your life. I don't say that lightly. You know, how much time do we have? There's a song that they play on the radio a lot, and, they, you know, it's, uh, you know, what if I had given everything? You know, what if, you know, you get to the end of life, I wish that I had, you know, I wish I had, you know, given everything. I wish I had given it all. I wish I had, had done what, what God called me to do. That's number one, to do what God calls us to do. That's what Paul said. That's why I'm doing what I do, because God wants me to do it. That's the only reason I can, that's the, the first reason I can say. But the second reason for Paul here is to please God, he said. You know, I am not trying to please men. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. We're not trying to please men, but God, to please God, to make him happy. Our Heavenly Father, now is he, you know, well, if you don't do what I say, then I'm not happy. No, it's not like that at all. It's just like it brings a smile to his face for us to please him, for us to please our, our Heavenly Father and just to do what he said. It's like that. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing, Paul says. Pleasing people, think about that for a minute, though. To please people, that's really not a very good idea. To do. I'm doing this so I can please people. First of all, it's very hard to do. Because people are fickle. We're all fickle. I'm fickle. You're fickle. We're, we, you know, what do I want? At one minute I want this, the next minute I want that. And, we, and we're not even consistent. We want our ears tickled. So that's what I was saying earlier about let's just make the message more palatable. Let's change things. Let's make it easy. Let's do it so that we can please people. Paul says, that's not what I'm called to do. I'm not called to please people. Sometimes they're pleased and sometimes they're not. Paul said in Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? He said, am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I would not be a servant of Christ if, if that's what I'm doing, trying to please men and people. That's not serving Jesus, he said. You say, well, okay, so that means, you know, that we're just rude and mean and uncaring and just slam everybody and just, you know, I'm not trying to please you, so you're going to hell and, you know, just, no, no, no. If we're pleasing him, Many times, you know, God is going to work in the lives of those people around us, you see. God, it doesn't please God for us to be rude and to be abrasive and just to be mean and ugly. That doesn't please him. But changing the truth doesn't please him either. This guy Enoch, you know the story of Enoch, right? In the story of him, uh, is summed up in, in Hebrews, and it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. 
God had taken him away. God took him to be with himself. One of the few people that didn't face death on this earth. Why? It says, for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Not pleased man, he pleased God. He walked to please God. And God said, you know what? That's enough. I want you right now. And took him home to be with him. That's, that kind of tells us what God's feeling is about us when, we, when we're pleasing to him. Proverbs, and speaking about being mean and rude, listen to this. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Now, that's interesting. And God knows it, too, because he tests our heart. He knows why we're doing what we're doing, and, and that's a scary thing. God, search me. My, my thoughts, my heart. He knows why we're doing what we're doing. And so again, I can't look at this and say, well, yeah, I could say every one of these things. It scares me just to even think about that because, because I know God has to search my heart and know my heart and, and, and test my heart, and he does. And maybe you and I need to go through that at times where we're saying, God, is it, am I really doing this for the right reason? Am I, do I really have some kind of little thing happening here? Maybe some little idol that I've built up and, and it, it, it's all, you know, on this and on that. Only two reasons Paul gives us here is number one, because God said to, and number two, to please him. Verse five, he says, you know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Paul's saying, you know, I'm getting all this flack and these attacks, but you know, you know me. He says, you know that we didn't use flattery. You know we didn't put on a mask cover. You know, you know that. Why would you even listen to those kinds of things? You know, with Paul, and I, I think it's a good example, what you see is what you get. Paul says, you know what my life was like. I didn't come, I didn't, you know, put on a robe. I didn't come on and act like, you know, the Reverend High, um, uh, what's all the names that I get to put in front of my name? The Reverend Most Holy, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so. And, and, you know, he says, you know, I came and I just wanted to speak the truth. And that's who I was. I mean, you and I know that flattery gets us everywhere. Right? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to butter you up so I can, I can, you know, get something. Put on a mask to cover up greed, a cloak of covetousness, one version calls it. To put on a show to cover up what's underneath. And, and the scary thing is that's what's happening. Paul says, we're not in it for the money. We are not in it for the money. Peter says, we're, you know, he's talking to the elders, the leaders, the shepherds there. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, not serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Paul says, We're not covering up this, we want to get money. In fact, Paul went an extra step. He says, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold, he said. In fact, he said, you know, we worked hard. We, we, we worked with our own hands so that, that nobody would have to even give us anything. 
There were others that supported them from different places, that's true. And Paul also said, you know, the worker is worthy of his wages, so he wasn't saying that couldn't happen, but Paul said, listen, that's not what's happening here, so back off on that one. Now, maybe, you know, Norman spoke this morning about finance. You could say, well, you know, well, we talked about finances. Well, we've talked about finances, what, once a year maybe, right? We don't make a big deal out of it. It's not all about the money. But we could take that offering now if you wanted to. Verse 6, we'll finish with this. He says, he says this. We were not looking for praise for men, not from you or anyone else. We're not looking for praise for men, not from you or from anyone else, he says. Now, that's different from encouragement. We all need encouragement. He's not talking about encouragement here, needing, you know, hey, you know, you're doing a good job, you, you know, keep it up. We need to encourage one another. The Bible says encourage one another daily. Encourage one another, stir up the gifts that you have. We need that encouragement. But, but he's, saying, he's saying, you know, we're not looking for praise from men. That becomes more like a self-idol, I think. Pride is wrapped up in that. Because if we're looking for praise from men, inevitably, and this is kind of running through this whole passage, inevitably it will affect what and how we do things. If, 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 if you're only doing it to get praise and acclamation from people, we will end up changing the message. It will affect what we do, and it will affect how we do it, if that's all we're looking for. We want to know what God wants. We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, in the end. That's what we want. We don't, we, we're not looking for praise. And again, we don't just don't care what people think. We, you know, we want to make them uncomfortable so that, no, no, no. says in John, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Talking about some Pharisees in John chapter 12, he says they love praise from men more than praise from God. And these were people who believed. It says, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. Those believers. I'll finish with this quote. Someone said this, As I grow older, I care less what people think about me and more what God thinks of me. He says, I expect to be with him much longer than with you. <laughs> why we do what we do, God knows why do we. Search our hearts, God. Not just once, but every day. God, if I'm going to serve you, if I'm going to do what I've been called to do, do it for the right reasons. Because God wants me to do it and because I want to please him. That's what I want to do. Let's pray, shall we?